Greetings and welcome to the Virginia Hospital and Healthcare Association's Patients Come First podcast series. Podcast episodes are available on VHHA.com and on popular podcast hosting apps, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, and many others. Episodes of the podcast also air each Saturday at noon and Sunday at 10 a.m. on 100.5 FM, 92.7 FM, and 820 AM across Central Virginia. Please send any questions, comments, or feedback to PCFpodcast at VHHA.com. Again, that's PCFpodcast at VHHA.com. And with that, today we're thrilled to be joined by Dr. Anthony Bafobani, the Medical Director of Infection Prevention and Control at Carilion Clinic. He'll be with us for a conversation about his work during the COVID-19 pandemic and his work with Carilion Innovation, a new initiative of the health system that encourages employees to develop inventions and ideas to benefit patients. Before we get into that, welcome to the program, Dr. Bafobani. Thank you for having me, Julian. Well, it is our pleasure, and we appreciate uh, you making some time in your busy schedule. Let's start off, if we could, with a little bit of background about how you wound up in Roanoke, Virginia, after starting life on the other side of the globe. If you would, can you just tell us a little bit about your journey and the the path that you've traveled to get here to Virginia, where you're now practicing medicine? So I'm originally from Ghana in West Africa, and for those who want to you know, are good soccer fans. There's a lot of times where Ghana plays the U.S. in soccer. And uh, there are times when my kids will be cheering for the U.S. I cheer for Ghana from time <laughs> to time and, you know, back and forth. It's the last time the U.S. beat Ghana. Anyway, so I did my schooling as well as medical school in uh, Ghana, University of Ghana Medical School, and then came to the U.S. to do postgraduate training I did that in Baltimore in a community hospital, uh, St. Agnes Hospital, uh, and then uh, went to Nevada to practice for a while before coming into Roanoke Carillion for my fellowship. You mentioned uh, kids. How many children do you have, sir? I have three. Okay. And are they younger children or teenagers? One teenager, actually two teenagers, and a 10-year-old going on 80. Okay. <laughs> well, you talked about your, your upbringing in your native Ghana, and I find that fascinating. I think that one thing many people may not have a great perspective on is how nations all over the planet, including those that are far away, um, while they have unique characteristics, they also share similarities. And I wonder if you might share your thought about any misunderstandings or assumptions people might have about Ghana and its way of life that they find, in fact, is not the case or in fact, is perhaps more similar to, to you know their own experience, even though they've never been there. Yes. So there are lots of similarities between many countries. In Ghana, you do have your big cities and then the smaller towns and villages, similar to the U.S., where you have your bigger you know cities and then obviously uh, smaller areas. The weather is hot, probably just like you would find in Florida. So similar weather, but then we tend to have all-year-round warm weather uh, compared to places in the U.S. where you may have some more uh, temperate or colder weather. People are nice, friendly, and um, when I walk in any area in Roanoke and uh, you have somebody say hi and, uh, you know, say hi to you, you think back of Ghana and how people are, you know, simply nice and will say hi to you as well. So it looks like we're all the same everywhere we are. 
Well, that human kindness, it can be worldwide, and that's a good thing. Uh, just out of curiosity, um, since you mentioned uh, year-round warm weather in your native Ghana, uh, what kind of uh, culture shock or adjustment did you have to go through? You mentioned having worked in Baltimore to just get acclimated to the cold weather. The first year of uh, residency, it was quite a lot of snow, and uh, that was quite a bit of change from what I'm <laughs> used to. Was that the first time you'd seen snow? Actually, no. So my parents were foreign. My father was a foreign service officer. And as a kid, I you know, stayed in Moscow for quite a bit. Different level of snow there. Oh, yeah. I can, I can yeah. imagine. I can imagine. Yeah. But it had been a while. So this was also you know, the first time coming to the U.S. And it had been a while since I'd been seen any snow. Okay. Uh, You are an infectious disease specialist who's working in medicine at a time when the world faces uh, a serious threat from a highly transmissible virus. That's thrust you and the work you do and that of others with your professional background into the spotlight. And with that in mind, I actually have two questions for you. The first is, by now most people have heard uh, perhaps more than they ever thought they would about the coronavirus. But in your mind, is there an important big picture lesson that's been overlooked in this situation? I'll let you get to that and then I'll give you the second question. That's a deep question. Actually, what I'll say about this pandemic or some of the lessons uh, as a society uh, we've learned about this pandemic is that condition which happens in a corner of another world in Wuhan, China, in a small fish market uh, or live stock market can then affect other people and essentially the whole world. And it tells us we're a global village. It tells us that we need to be able to quickly adapt to situations as they happen in out elsewhere because it can, you know, also happen here. Uh, but that global village thing is, is very important. Yeah, that's great perspective. It, it truly is a small world and really goes back to what we were talking about just a moment ago about, uh, you know, you can live on one side of the planet or another, but there are, you know, we all inhabit the same planet and there are similarities all across the board. So I appreciate you sharing that perspective. You're yes. so right. Yeah. And I'll add to that is it tells us we need to take care of each other. Absolutely. Very, very wise words there. The second question I have for you, sir, is what should people know? Because this is, I think, the question that so many people have other than when can I get my vaccine? When will I be eligible? Is what should people know about the emerging variant strains of the virus and the potential risk they pose from your perspective? That's a very good question. The first thing I'd like to say is we really should not panic. However, we should do the basic thing whether the variant has the name D117 or B5351 or P1, the simple things still work, namely masking, social distancing, good hand hygiene. It works and keeps infections from getting to us. When we are able to keep other people from getting infected or ourselves from getting infected, then the virus is unable to multiply as much and then become more, you know, have more variants. So the basic things do work and uh, it works for the variants. It works for the non-variant as well. That's probably the most important thing. And then the next thing, of course, is that we do know that the vaccines are effective 
some may not be as effective for the variants in preventing symptomatic disease, but they are quite effective in preventing asymptomatic disease, but they are quite effective in preventing severe disease, uh, which is really what one wants. If you're going to get COVID and just get the sniffle uh, because you've been vaccinated, then whatever variant it is, I'll just get the vaccine when it's my turn. Makes a lot of sense. And then let's shift now to Carillion Innovation, which launched in 2019 as a way to encourage clinicians and staff to come up with unique inventions to benefit patients. As I understand it, in fiscal year 2020, Carillion Innovation filed seven patents, disclosed 65 inventions, and 45 innovators have been disclosed. During the pandemic, some of the inventions included a fogless face shield for air ambulance helmets and 95 decontamination machines, which I know is something that Carillion used, especially early on with the PPE shortages that were experienced last spring, and, and many more. If you would, Dr. Bafobani, can you share some insight about this innovation work and how the pandemic may have influenced its progress? So I can speak mainly to some of the innovations in the COVID sphere and more specifically the ones that have been sort of in the midst of N95 decontamination. Uh, As you are well aware, right at the beginning of the pandemic, you know, all over the U.S., there was significant shortage of these N95 respirators. Uh, these are the masks that have the tight form fitting on the face, high-level masks in preventing COVID in acquisition for healthcare workers. So we were lucky in partnering with some people in the OR department looking at how we could decontaminate based off other publications that had been done on hydrogen peroxide decontamination. And then we quickly pivoted and were able to get in touch with a material scientist, Lindsay Ma, quite renowned for her work related to particle science and infectious disease spread, who then looked at the decontaminated N95s to make sure that the mask did not lose their filtration efficiency. That ability to work closely with a world leader in this field, you know, just next door in Blacksburg was a blessing. And uh, we have been able to use uh, decontaminated N95s for a good bit. Uh, preserved N95s as a result of our ability to do some decontamination. So that was excellent. Another innovative thing we were able to do during this pandemic was we actually received from the strategic national stockpile some what we call elastomeric half-phase respirators. These are these respirators that fit on the face they have valves on the sides. Can't you see them in movies like for chemical mm-hmm. uh, stuff? Yeah. So what we found out, though, was that from the national stockpile, all these respirators and the filters were expired. They are actually expired in 2014 because they were from the national stockpile from the H1N1 influenza outbreak in 2009. So again, we 
our innovative efforts worked with Virginia Tech and they assessed and reassessed the filtration efficiency of these filters and found out they worked just as well as N95s. And so we were able to introduce those devices safely for our frontline healthcare workers. And that really helped us with our PPE shortage during that period. Well, as they say, necessity is the mother of invention, and it's great to hear that healthcare teams at places like Carilion are, you know, in a pinch are still able to find strategic partnerships and, and work collaboratively to come up with real-world solutions. And to your point about those respirator masks from the strategic national stockpile, I remember last spring also another issue was some of the duckbill masks. They came with the elastic bands that had sort of deteriorated or disintegrated over time. And I remember that was something that um, folks were looking for a fix for. How do we repurpose these things so as not to let these materials go to waste? So it's good to, good to hear about that ingenuity going on. Yeah, I actually say something about those duckbill masks. So we are currently repurposing those masks. And what we're doing is we're using them as filters for the exhalation portion of the elastomeric mask. So we're sort of cutting them into little squares and placing them on the exhalation valves of our elastomerics. So in, in many ways, we're trying to make use of everything as yeah. possible. Got to find a way. That, that's for yeah. sure. Well, listen, I appreciate you sharing uh, your insights with us. And, and now that we've covered the serious stuff, Dr. Bafobani, I have a few other questions for you to give listeners a bit of a sense of who you are beyond the work that you do. The first one, and this is an entirely imaginary premise, but in the hypothetical scenario that you could anticipate your final day on Earth, what would your last meal be? <laughs> okay, that's last meal would be a meal of fufu. So you got to look it up. So F U F U. Okay. Oh wait, it's not a good way to say on phone. It I, it sounded. I'm sorry. Can you? You're coming. You're coming through clear. You're coming through. So, so ex- explain to us what that is. So fufu <laughs> is <laughs> it's oh it's a Ghanaian dish and um, it's pounded yam and it has some soup uh, on the side and with you know, local meat delicacies. Very delicious. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll, I'll be interested in checking it out. I've had uh, Ethiopian cuisine, but I don't think I've had the cuisine of Ghana. So I'll, I'll add that to the list of uh, things to sample at some point. The next question for you, sir, is what's the top item on your bucket list? The top item on my current bucket list mm-hmm. is I'm hoping that when the pandemic is, you know, we have it behind us. We've vaccinated lots of people. We've gotten herd immunity. Going on a vacation back to Ghana. It's been a while. That sounds like a, a good goal to have in front of you. Yeah. And and finally, it's the last one. If you were stranded on a deserted island, what one book, one album, and one movie would you take with you to keep yourself company? We will spot you a copy of the religious text of your choice. So other than that, what are your three entertainment survival kit picks? You know, I would take just one thing. Oh, okay. I'll just take a movie. Okay. And you're going to laugh. My cousin, Vinny. Is it possible to two youths... Uh, uh, to what? Oh, what was that word? Uh, what word? To what? What? Did you say youths? Yeah, two youths. What is a ute? Oh, excuse me, Your Honor. 
two youths. That's a great movie. I can watch it like a thousand times. That's a classic. That's a classic. I love it. I love it. I just like the humor in that movie. The it's a great movie, mm-hmm. and that's it's something I, I would take on that island. I wouldn't take anything else. Okay. Just that. these two years. Yes, these two Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh. Okay. Well, listen. I appreciate you sharing some time with us and all of your insights. And with that, that's going to bring us to the close of another episode of the Virginia Hospital and Healthcare Association's Patients Come First podcast. If you like what you heard, please make sure to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcast and subscribe so that you know when new episodes are available. And we want to once again thank our guest on today's episode, Medical Director of Infection Prevention and Control at Krillian Clinic, Dr. Anthony Bafobani, for joining us today. So thank you, sir. Thank you very much, Julian. It was a pleasure talking to you.